Welcome to Montgomery Talks, Montgomery Community Media's regular podcast on local issues. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at MCM. With us today is Sonia Pruitt, the first female African-American captain on the Montgomery County Police Force. She has a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from UMUC. She spent 27 years on the force. She is the national chairperson of the National Black Police Officers Association. Welcome to Montgomery Talks. Thank you. Simple question. What made you want to become a police officer? That is a great question because my father was a police officer, so I'm somewhat of a legacy. However, I did not aspire to be a police officer until after I realized that although I'm a science geek, I did not really want to become a doctor. And I tried research, and that wasn't for me either. So then I decided, well, I think I want to be outside and amongst people. (laughs) because I'm a people person, which is how I actually ended up joining the police force. Not to save the world or anything. That came later. That came later. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's your current goal. Yes. Okay. So as the first African-American woman to become captain, this is a lousy question, but how does that feel? I'm humbled, excited about possibilities. And to some extent, it's just a little bittersweet because it's taken so long for not just me to extend uh, to to excel like this, but you know there have been other uh, female black female lieutenants that never made captain, and they were more than qualified, I'm sure. So when I look at that, and you know, and I think about the amount of time it's taken, the fact that I'm, I'm only one of two black female executives. There's another um, lieutenant, a black female lieutenant, that I had nobody to really mentor me while I was climbing the executive ladder. In some ways, you know, when I think about that, it's a little disappointing. But again, there's opportunity now, and that's opportunity for me to help others and to put the the real story in perspective. So with 27 years in one place, talk about the highlights of your career so far. So the highlight of my career is the people that I work with, um, some outstanding and brilliant law enforcement minds and people who are very committed to what we do as the police. That's that's pretty much a highlight <laughs> for me um, because I'm a people person. So, I, you know, I'm always studying people and what they do. And I love the fact that people come to work every day to make a difference. Also a highlight is the fact that I got to to do a a number of different things with the police department. I've worked in internal affairs. I've been an administrative lieutenant for an assistant chief. I supervised the SRO, or the School Resource Officer Program, and I worked in background investigations. I've done a number of wonderful things for the department. So I got to to look at uh, things from a different vantage points in law enforcement. Since you bring up internal affairs, I mean, that brings a few questions of its own, at least recently. A little over a year ago, an unarmed black man was shot in Silver Spring, and part of that investigation involved internal affairs investigating. You are welcome to say anything you are allowed to say about that investigation. I'm going to assume you're allowed to say nothing. (laughs) No, I'm not allowed to, to talk about the investigation itself. But I was wondering if you could at least walk us through a generic investigation Mm -hmm. of a police officer after a shooting. What kinds of things happen? Okay, so because we have in the state of Maryland the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights, which is law, it's legislation that sets parameters for what happens with officers if, for instance, they are involved in an officer-involved shooting. So that officer gets a certain amount of time to consult with an attorney or with uh, an FOP representative. So when you you talk about internal affairs investigations, that officer will not just go straight to internal affairs, at least not in the state of Maryland. 
There will be a criminal investigation that takes place before an administrative investigation. Once that investigation is done criminally, and also, in addition, the state's attorney's office reviews the case. So there's a lot of different steps that happens before something comes to internal affairs. Once it comes to internal affairs, our job is to be fact finders. Our job is not to determine whether the officer actually did anything wrong. We're just looking to see if there's possible policy violations. Okay, so uh, witnesses to the event or people who are pertinent to the event are interviewed, and then the officer is eventually interviewed, probably last. The detective sergeant, which does the investigation, will then compile all of the facts, and then that case is passed on to the deputy director who reviews it for, you know, make sure it reads well, make sure there's no other questions that need to be asked. And by the way, when an officer comes in to be interviewed, or I'm sorry, interrogated in this case, they bring an, an, uh, either an attorney or a fraternal order of police representative just so they can, you know, make sure that they have their, their protections administratively. And you describe it as an interrogation, mm-hmm. not as an interview. That's correct. Describe the difference between the two. Okay. So we interview witnesses. We do that criminally and administratively. You interview witnesses. But the person who is the involved officer in an internal affairs investigation is going to be interrogated. They're going to be asked some very uh, critical questions. And because they have an FOP rep or an attorney, they have certain protections that those people will make sure that they have during the course of the interrogation. And even in a criminal investigation, just for a civilian who is arrested, that's also called an interrogation because they're under arrest. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're the involved officer, so you're going to be interrogated. So once all of those facts are collected and the, it's written up, then it passes to the deputy director. Then it goes to the director of internal affairs for another review. Once the director reviews it, then it goes out, outside of internal affairs, to an executive officer, generally a captain or commander, um, and then they read it, and then they determine whether, okay, we think that these policy violations actually occurred. Once that happens, it goes back to infer- internal affairs for what's called an investigative review panel. That's the four assistant chiefs, the director of internal affairs, the deputy director, legal and labor, and the executive officer who made the findings. There's a huge discussion. Also, the detective sergeant who wrote it up, there's a, a discussion about it. And then decisions are made, okay, this is what we agree are policy violations. This is what we think the suggested punishment should be. Then that goes to the chief of police who reviews it again and decides whether he or she agrees or not. And I say he or she because we're not. (laughs) We don't have a permanent chief right now. So So that's the process. So there's several different layers. It's not as easy as just going in and talking and somebody says, you're guilty. Right. Yes. It sounds like... In some ways, it mirrors what happens um, in a court of law, at least, in terms of what a state's attorney does. You come to a court, talk to a judge, the whole bit. Yes, that's correct. Um, Very similar. I guess one of the big differences, though, is in a court of law, it's most of it's out in the open. And almost all of this is, you know, what, what the, what's out in the open is, I guess, the, the, the chief's final finding, mm-hmm. correct? That's correct. Well, so because of the LEOBR, personnel records are private in mm-hmm. the state of Maryland sure. for officers, which is why we can't put things out in the open. However, mm-hmm. legislation passed in October of 2018, which allows, let's say this officer was found, um, we sustained charges for uh, excessive force, not in the, in the Robert White case, but Understood. just in any case, in period. Any case. 
And that officer says, well, I don't agree, and I would like to have a hearing board. So we have two types of hearing boards. I won't go into all the details of that, but if they, partic- they, if they pick a particular type of hearing board in which they have a what we call um, a moderator of sorts, then that is public. You'll have a moderator, you'll mm-hmm. have a police executive. So you'll have, you'll have a hearing that the public can actually come to. Now, just know that we haven't had one since October of 2018 when the law passed because um, by the time we get to that stage, the officer and the department has worked out an agreement about what should happen in terms of a punishment or discipline, as we call it. So as captain, what are your duties now? So I'm the director of the Community Engagement Division. And what exactly is the Community Engagement Division? Much what it sounds like, engage in the community. So we do a number of things with the police department in terms of outreach to the community. We have coffee with a cop. We do, uh, for instance, this summer we do several camps for the kids where officers are in charge of those camps and they actually develop the curriculum and everything. But... We also do a lot of outreach in terms of having more serious conversations with the public, and that's one of my focuses since I'm the new director. Um, Where are we having these conversations so that people feel as though they're being heard and that maybe we can solve some of the issues that causes this chasm chasm, sorry, between the police and the community. There's a lot of opportunities for that. And as the public gets to trust us more, there will be more opportunities. You know, um, Everybody doesn't always want to talk because they don't trust the police, and that's a historical issue, especially in the African-American community. But we get to show that we are transparent and accountable, and that's how you build trust and legitimacy, and then we can have what could be some difficult conversations. From a distance, as a layman from a distance, um, and you hear community engagement, often it might strike someone as, I don't want to say lesser, but it, you know, when you think of some of the things that police have to do, um, it may not seem as, as sexy as, you know, homicide or whatever. However, at this point in time in Montgomery County, um, it would seem as though the, the way you describe this position, um, it's extremely important. I mean, not only do we have um, neighborhoods in Montgomery County that are distrustful of police because of what happened with Robert White, but we also have the the four men who were detained outside the McDonald's and the and the white officer using the N-word. So it would seem as though um, this is not going to be an easy position. This is not something where you just kind of show up for work and get to go home easy. Um, well, you know, I'd like to think, and um, I hope that whoever's listening to this, like maybe my boss or <laughs> I'd like to think that I was chosen because I, I don't have a fear of having these courageous conversations. I come from the community that we're having the most concerns in. So I can relate to the African-American community. I'm also a woman, so I have that perspective. And then I'm also a police officer, so I have the triad. And so I can speak from all of those places. And I think that puts me in a unique position to be able to to help deal with the issues that we may have. Were you in attendance to the uh, community policing forum um, at Kennedy High School? I was. Um, What did you think of what some of the people said? I thought that Montgomery County residents are very thoughtful. And that's that's kind of unique, too. I work with people from all around the country, my peers. And, you know, sometimes I listen to them talk about their communities, and I'm thinking, well, that's not Montgomery County. People in Montgomery County are very invested in the police department. I would never think that just judging by that form, for instance, that people hate the police. Because, you know, you hear that sometimes from the rank and file. And I am going to acknowledge that officers 
would feel that way because of what's going on in the country. But I don't get that from Montgomery County residents. I think that Montgomery County residents tend to like to, they know that we're an excellent police department and they want to keep us held accountable. They want to keep the bar high. That's how I look at it. So I thought that the people who came to the forum and spoke were very thoughtful. I felt anger. There was hurt. And those are all legitimate. You know, those are valid for those people. So I saw it as an opportunity to gather information. I took a lot of notes that night um, about what people said, and I take it to heart. And so I also realized that attending events like that and like the racial equity event that's tonight, that's important for me. I need to go and hear what people have to say about these things because it's going to drive who I have these interactions with and try to, 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 to build a coalition to help solve the problems. Okay. We're very near the, our usual time to break, and I'm going to break here just because I want to keep going, actually. So um, this is uh, Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media, and I'm talking with Captain Sonia Pruitt, and we'll be right back. MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is Community. And we're back with Montgomery Talks. We're speaking with Captain Sonia Pruitt. And we had a question during the break, and I'll ask it now. Um, what are some things that other police departments could learn from Montgomery County? So, um, as I mentioned before, I get to work with peers and law enforcement professionals from across the country. And I'm proud to say that we have some of the best training in the country. And we tend to be in the forefront of trying new things, like when body worn cameras became the thing for us to take a look at. We jumped right out there as an apartment and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to do this first. We're going to try a pilot proje project, and then we're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on having these cameras because we see that they're worthwhile. And people look to us to find out, well, how did you do this? And, you know, to get the feedback to see what, if it's going to be helpful for them in terms of training and equipment and how we handle issues. So people are really looking at us right now to see how we're going to handle any issues we have with, with finding a new chief and, and the requirements of the of the public, like, you know, the public is, are looking for certain things. And so people are looking to us to see how we handle those choices and how we move forward. Along those lines, a little over a year ago, the Baltimore Sun um, reached out to you to ask them who their next police chief ought to be. And as I recall, the quotes were something along the lines of, you need a chief who understands Baltimore, um, um, and a few other things. And it struck me that, you know, you could scratch out Baltimore and, and just write in Montgomery County. And it's probably the same advice you'd give somebody describing um, Montgomery County's new police chief. I would agree with that. So for me, the choice of a police chief should be, should, the, one of the considerations should be how well they understand the community that they're going to be serving. All communities are different. Baltimore is its own thing. Montgomery County, we're our own thing. And we need someone who's going to understand the dynamics of Montgomery County. 
uh, for instance, that we're education heavy and that people here, we have a diverse population and demographic. Those are the things that that person should need to understand. Do you have a pick for the next police chief? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I think whoever is the best candidate in terms of those things that I just talked about, their understanding, and the understanding of, of police dynamics, because we're our own culture also. So it's okay to, you know, if someone is new to pick that person, but how do you, how do you gauge their understanding of uh, police dynamics and Montgomery County police dynamics? I saw another quote from you, in, uh, I think actually on our website, in which you said that uh, black women were perfect for policing. Why? So historically, we're the nurturers. Uh, we raise everybody's family. We've got you've got aunties, and you know we're the warm, cuddly, come and get uh, love type of people. At the same time, we're going to hold you accountable. Okay, I'm not to say that anybody else is not like that. You know, especially other women, but because of slavery. If I may be, you know, if I may go there for a second, that has been our role since we came to America. We're, we're taking care of everybody. We're the person you go to when you want the truth and you want honesty and, you know, you want somebody to lift you up. That's who we are. And so I think that we're uh, unique in that way uh, in terms of policing because when we deal with the public, when we come on scene, people are looking at us like, okay, so we want, especially if we're in an African-American community, this has happened to me many times. I'm glad you're here. Nothing against the other officers, but I think that you're going to understand how I feel. And I, I know that you're going to come from a place where, you know, you're going to respect me and you know, treat me a certain way that, you know, I'm going to appreciate. So that's what we bring to policing. Um, you're also the chairperson of the National Black Police Officers Association. So what kinds of problems do black officers have that, that other officers don't? Great question. The organization was founded in 1972 because black police officers were not being promoted they were not getting assignments in specialized units. They were often invisible. Other counterparts were getting credit for things that they were doing, that sort of thing. <clears throat> Fast forward to 2019, and we still see some of the same problems, lack of promotion, um, not getting assignments in specialized units, black officers feeling like their resumes are not looked at, that other people who don't have as much experience are getting promoted and moved forward, and they're just getting sat in a corner, not mentored. Those are the complaints that I hear most often. And how does that relate to Montgomery County? Huh, another great question. So we actually have a coalition of black police officers in Montgomery County to help black officers navigate law enforcement, in particular our, in particular our police department. If I may speak candidly about my own experience, besides the two black female lieutenants that we had prior to my being promoted to lieutenant, I have not had another black female to mentor me. And we have some unique things about us as black women. We're often seen as aggressive, arrogant in our stances. But this is not just policing. This is just black women. You know, I hear this from my other girlfriends who are in other fields. But I'm pretty sure that sometimes I've been seen as, as pretty outspoken. But, you know, that's just how I am as a person. Uh, but sometimes that can be seen or be, can, can be intimidating to some people. And so that means, okay, maybe we want her to be a little more quiet. So when those things happen, you know, I, it's, it would be nice to have somebody to talk to. I've had to navigate those things alone. And I want to just, for the record, say that's not, for me, that's not the department. That's that's not how I'm, I'm being treated or have been treated by the department. Those are individuals. There's individuals everywhere who feel a certain way about certain people. And so that's what I would say about being uh, a member of the Montgomery County Police Department. I've had a great career there. 
And so I'm not complaining at all. But to, to ignore that there are certain dynamics sometimes, you know, I think that would be irresponsible of me. I want to be uh, talk openly about that so that women who are listening to this, especially black women, will come and join the police department because we need that kind of guidance. When you have, when you see those people and you get accustomed, like myself, seeing myself and people talking to me, then the fear or whatever it is, you know, that guides people's thoughts tend to go away. We're only 2% of the police department. We could do better. So what's the solution to recruiting? I mean, I mean, is it just a simple matter of just going to high schools and saying, telling kids this is a viable career, or does it mean more than that? Do you have to do more? I think we have to do more. Um, if we're talking about not just black officers, but a, di- a diverse police department, you have to go where people are. I think our police department does a good job of going places like uh, historically black colleges and universities looking for good candidates. And you have to be willing to do that outreach, too. Just going to the same old places is probably not going to work. And then you're going to have these people like me to spread the message, hey, law enforcement is a great career. This is a great police department. We need you to come here. And so I do that. I'm trying to recruit my sister right now. She's in resistance because, you know, she's in the Air Force and she doesn't know whether she wants to continue in the military or whether she wants to become the police. But I'm trying to recruit her. (laughs) So using people like myself to go out and we have recruiters who are um, from the community, from the African-American community, and they can go out and, you know, see what they can do, too. And we I, I think our personnel division really focuses on that. You know, let's send some Latino recruiters to see if we can get, you know, more Latino and women and, you know, Asian, all of that. Getting back to the um, Black Police Officers Association, last year your association broke with other police organizations in supporting Colin Kopernik. Um, he had just signed a contract with Nike, um, and it caused uh, a bit of a furor among police organizations and military organizations. However, you supported him. I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Sure, because we could relate to what he was saying. For us, as, as African-Americans, it's no disrespect, and, and this is a generalization. Of course, everybody doesn't feel this way. It's not disrespectful to, for instance, say I feel a certain way about how things are happening in my country because we're also citizens. We're not just, you know, from somewhere else coming in here and saying, hey, well, we don't like the way things are going. No, we, we, we were born here. Our ancestors came here, helped build this country. So we should have a right, and we do have a right by the Constitution. It's called the First Amendment to protest. He was not protesting violently. He was not protesting in such a way that he was taking away from someone else's personal space or putting them in danger. He simply took a knee and says, I protest police brutality because we should all protest police brutality. We should acknowledge that and acknowledge that it happens, first of all. And then we should protest it. We should be enraged about it. So we understood that. And he did nothing wrong. Our job as law enforcement officers is to protect the constitutional rights of people in this country. So why would we not support him and what he was doing? And if he was doing something wrong, we would say he's doing something wrong. We'd actually like to see the Fraternal Order of Police and other uh, police organizations say more about when things are going wrong. Say, hey, we we, we acknowledge that and we recognize it, and we're going to do what we can to handle it. For instance, the um, recently, all the, the, the uh, racist and misogynistic uh, messages that went out across the country. Now, that's, that's just a small sampling. We don't know how large that issue is. 
But I would love to hear the FOP as the National Black Police Association and other organization, black or- police organizations have said, say, you know what, that's wrong. And we should be monitoring that. And we're going to hold our members accountable. But we're not hearing that. Only from select groups of police officers. How do you make that change? Uh, I think that we continue to force the conversation. That's the only way. Um, we, we're not going to ignore it. At least my organization cannot ignore it. And the National Black Police Association will not ignore things like that. But I think part of that, too, is having, let's say, a, another captain from another police department who is a white male, having him understand why I feel that way, why that's important to me. I don't think there's anything wrong with seeking understanding on both sides. Or I might ask him, well, why do you feel, why are you, 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 you know, backing officers no matter what they do? We never want to talk about the negative. I want to seek understanding in that area because I don't understand that. I believe in, count- in accountability and transparency. So if we're not going to be accountable and transparent, then we're going to, you know, we're still going to have these divisions and people are going to buckle down on both sides. Since you bring it up, some might... I know some people have criticized the LEOBOR. LEOBR. <laughs> Law Enforcement Officers Bill, Bill of Rights. Rights. Right. Yes. Right. There have been some criticisms of that because it does seem to shield police officers from they can come up with instances where they think an officer might have been should have been disciplined and he and it appears that that person wasn't because of that particular law. Do you think it needs to change? I like the idea of law enforcement officers having certain protections. We should hold ourselves to a higher standard. And thus, I think that um, there are things that should be done in order to make sure that our side of the story is told. However, I also believe that the public drives that sort of legislation. I believe that if the public feels that there's some things that need to be changed, then that's the public's right. That's who we work for. And so if changes come to the LEOBR, I'm fine with that because that's what the public wants. It's not all about what I want as a police officer, although that's important. But again, Robert Peel, who is the father of modern-day policing from the U.K., Uh, says that without the public, we're pretty much useless. We don't have a job. We don't, you know, there's no need for us. And so we have to have a symbiotic relationship. Okay. What do you want your legacy to be? That I stood for what is right, that everyone should be treated with respect and human dignity, police officers and the citizens that we serve, and that uh, I had a lot of fun while I was doing it. (laughs) You want to be chief? Wow, that's another loaded question. I'm not sure. I haven't thought that far ahead. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm a more of a the in-the-moment type of person. Okay. Thank you for joining us. My Captain pleasure. Crew. My pleasure. This Thanks is, for having me. Well, this has been quite interesting. Um, this has been Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter with Montgomery Community Media. Our engineer today is Carolyn Roskowskis, and our executive producer is Gaynell Evans. Check us next time.